Hello and welcome to Why We Talking About Rabbits. Rabbits are the things on the internet that jump around and they go down rabbit holes. They often are of interest, often short time interest. Short, shortly, they run out of interesting things to add to your life in a quick manner, much like rabbits reproduce quickly. Why are we talking about rabbits? This is where we take some idea on the internet, take a deeper look at it, and then try to figure it out using this old world, new world lens from history. That's right. We study philosophy, we don't study it, but we talk about philosophy, history, epistemology, and the anthropology, anthropology to figure out what in the world is going on. Sometimes we do interviews, sometimes I just chat with you guys. We do it all to support First Things Foundation. Yeah, that's right. We're a front. This is Watar. This is an episode. I think it's an episode about Frankenstein, creator and creation. But what it really is, is the perfectly distilled voice of the new world. Brought to you by Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I'm Watar. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy days of holiness. Yeah. Happy New Year's coming up, which is a kind of holy day, especially in the old world, right? Patterns moving from one point to another. Thresholds. Holy days always mark thresholds. Yeah. That's what Halloween is. The threshold between the old or, or the spiritual world and the material world. They start to disappear, and voila, in rush the demons, and the angels, and the doctors, and the nurses dressed dressed in slutty outfits. Why is that a new world? Why does Halloween become dress up as something and then make it look sexual? Have you ever, why am I talking about Why am I talking about rabbits? It is interesting, though. It's an interesting thought. But it's not today's thought. Today is about a voice of a man named Jim. The perfect distillation of the new world. If Jim were to take the Watar lightometer test, he would score zero. Now that's not fair. By the way, that's not even a bad thing. I am just character, character, characterizing Jim as the ultimate new, but he probably wouldn't even score a zero. Only my friends in Los Angeles score zeros. I don't know why that is, by the way. Here we go, talking about Jim. Let me explain what's going on. Jim came onto a Jordan Peterson podcast recently and he came on to the podcast as an expert on AI. And in his defense, he did not claim to be an expert on AI. But then he kind of spoke like an expert on AI. And let's just face it, that's why he was on the show. And Jim is likable. He's cool. He's sort of a hearty dude wearing a t-shirt like me. He's a little more buff than I am, though. But when I heard his voice, I knew I had to talk about it because he is, he is Francis Bacon. 
Here, take a look for yourself and listen to Jim for a minute. So what have you seen in the last few years that's been indicative of this, of the change that you describe as revolutionary? What, what, are, the, what are computers doing now that you, that you found surprising because of this increase in speed? Yeah, you can have a language model read a 200,000 word book and summarize it fairly accurately. So it can extract out the gist. The gist of it. Mm -hmm. Can it do that with fiction? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm gonna introduce you to a friend who took a language model and changed it <clears throat> and fine-tuned it with Shakespeare and used it to write screenplays that are pretty good. Hmm. Hmm. And, and these kinds of things are really interesting. And then uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. So when computers do computations, you know, a program will say add A equal B plus C. The computer does those operations on representations of information, ones and zeros. It doesn't understand them at all. The computer has no understanding of it. But what we call a language model translates information like words and images and ideas into a space where the program, the ideas and the operation it does on them are all essentially the same thing. So did you hear it at the end, like right there when he says, yeah, they're pretty good. It's not right at the end, but at the end of his point about how fast the computer can compute and how well they can understand like Shakespeare and stuff, he goes, yeah, they're pretty good. But I don't think he means that. <laughs> I think he means something more like, oh, hell yeah, you heard that, right? Oh, hell yeah. And it's crazy. That's like a human brain right there. What I'm trying to explain to you, Jordan, is that's like a brain. And in fact, I think it's actually going to be in his mind and probably will be more powerful than a human brain. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to Jim right here. Yeah, I mean, individual researchers can, you know, I have a friend who I'm going to introduce you to him tomorrow. He wrote a program that scraped all of the Internet and trained an AI model to be a uh, a language model on a relatively small computer. And in 10 years, the computer he could easily afford would be as smart as a human. So he could train that pretty easily. And that model could go on Amazon and buy 100 more of those computers and copy itself. So yeah, we're, we're 10 years away from that. What did he say? Guys, this is awesome. He says, Computers will buy computers and then copy themselves. He doesn't say will, they do. Like he's got a buddy that, what? His buddy created computers that can buy themselves. This is hot. But then they don't just buy themselves because why would they just do that? Then they copy themselves. That's so cool, Jim. It's pretty wild, man. Pajot is on this podcast, Jonathan Pajot, friend of our show. Pajot, you can tell he's feeling kind of creeped out. <laughs> he's trying his best. They sort of pop him in in his jacket. I love that dude. But he's kind of like, but Jim, well, he does actually ask, why does a computer care? <laughs> Like, Jim, I'm trying to figure out why the computer cares about anything. 
And man, Jim does not have an answer. I don't know how to explain it to you. He cannot answer this at all. At one point, I'm not sure that he can understand the question. And I think the reason is really simple. Humans care. AI can't care. It isn't alive. It has, it has within it, if that's a way of saying it, it has the logos or the Holy Spirit within it in a way that a rock does. A rock is definitely of eternity, of Alpha and Omega. It has plan and purpose within reality, the spiritual reality, but it's not caring. And either will AI. It can't. It isn't infused with the spirit of the comforter, the spirit of life. Not in the same way. It doesn't have symbols. It doesn't have identity in the same way as a human being. It's infused with a spirit, for sure. I think it's the spirit of death, though. <laughs> the spirit of diabolos, not symbolos. Or better put, the spirit of temporality. The spirit of this world. The spirit of power. Like, I'm not saying that like some demagogue. Like, Jim is not a bad person. I'm not trying to, Jim is, I want to, why wouldn't I drink a scotch with Jim? But the spirit of the world is the spirit of power, authority, control. Yeah. And then finally, I don't know, Peugeot's going to talk to him about motivation, like the drive. It's a similar question. He asks this great question about, What's driving the AI? And like, is what's driving AI what's driving human beings? Like, am I, am I looking up? Sometimes I'm looking up to my, my new drug dealer friend who's showing me all the ropes on how to move cocaine without getting shot in the head. Like, I'm always looking up towards something. The question is, is, is an AI looking up? Is it... Is it looking out to find out where to go next? And Jim, well, he gives us this vision. <laughs> Here's a vision of the world in response to Pedro's idea about drive of AI. Check it out. Yeah, I, I could recommend uh, Ian Banks as an author, English author, I think. He wrote a series of books on the, he called the culture novels. And it was a world where there was humans and then there was AIs as smart as humans and AIs that were dumber than humans, but there were some AIs that were much, much smarter. And they, they lived in harmony because they mostly all pursued what they wanted to pursue. Humans pursued human goals and super smart AIs pursued super smart AI goals. And, and you know, they, they communicated and worked with each other, but... But they, they mostly, you know, they're different. When they were different enough that that was problematic, their goals were different enough that they didn't overlap. Because one of the, one of the things that, would, that, that... That would be my guess. It's like these ideas where these super AIs get smart and the first thing they do is stomp out the humans. It's like, you don't do that. Like, you, like, you don't wake up in the morning and think, I have to stomp out all the cats. No, I, like, it's not cats, about... The cats do cat things and the, the ants do ant things and the birds do bird things and... And super smart mathematicians do smart mathematician things. And, you know, guys who like to build houses do build house things. And, you know, everybody, 
You know, the, the world, there's so much space in the intellectual zone that people people tend to go pursue the, in, in a good society, mm-hmm. like you tend to pursue the stuff that you do and then the people in your zone, you self-regulate. And you also, even in the social stratus, we self-regulate. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 the recent political events of the last 10 years, the, the weird thing to me has been why have you know people with power been overreaching to take too much from people with less? Like that's bad regulation. Yeah. Um, uh, smart AI does smart AI things, and the social strata will be self-negotiated, self-regulated. You guys, you guys hear that stuff? He says that. That last bit about, oh, yeah, but don't worry. We humans, we do bad regulation. And we're going to fix that bad regulation. AI will, like, cut out the errors. (laughs) This is so awesome. And this this conversation is just simply the conversation about the fall of man. So if you're not a Christian listening to this, or if you're not a... Well, really Christian theology at play. The fall of man is something like the, 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 the introduction of a crevice, the introduction of a maw between what we are and what we've become. It's a collapsing of our totality into something less total. It's symbolos, unity in God moving toward diabolos, division or disintegration. The fall of man is about how, it's not how we screwed up, it's about how our nature has become marred in some ways. And we can't get to where we're supposed to go fully. And I really think what you just heard is Jim talking about the fall of man, but in a way where it belies the fact he doesn't really know about the fall of man. Or if he does, he's not interested in it, right? It's like fallen people are going to act fallen. I get that. But there's some weird inevitability about it. With Peterson, too, if you go on to listen, he jumps in and he's like, that's what we do. We fall. But the weird thing, the paradoxical thing is that we should try not to. Like, you know, we shouldn't just (laughs) embrace the collapse. We shouldn't embrace the maw. It, it, we shouldn't embrace the pride. We should, you know, not grab the apple as if it's inevitable. Now, it might be. I get it. But that's the whole point. That's the paradox of any sort of spiritual life within the ancient Orthodox Christian world is you operate within the paradox. You might not be able to do it, but you should try. And that thing, that try is called asceticism. I think for most cultures of old, right, pre-enlightenment, asceticism and honor were tied together. To be honorable was to practice the no. I shall not dishonor you by not attending your wedding. I shall not, even though I don't want to go to your wedding because it's going to be super boring. I shall not dishonor you. I shall not sleep with my friend's wife, even though I want to. I shall not. 
See, the modern world's like, you want to? Well, yeah, duh, no kidding, I want to. That's weird. If you see like an ice cream cake, you want to eat it. But maybe you shouldn't because you just ate one eight minutes ago. So maybe the second ice cream cake is not for you. You should not eat it. <laughs> and so that's asceticism. And in the old world, I shall not is me buttoning down the hatches. It's tying up, my, girding my loins, man. Right? So trying to not embrace pride is a type of mindset. And it's a thing. And you can do it. You can try not to embrace everything, including the whims of scientific potential. Scientific potential does not have to be embraced. It's not the point of life. Like you don't have to fashion yourself as needing to be mathematical. You don't have to be rational. You don't have to be logical in a scientific sense. That's not like a mandate from God. I don't know how to explain this to people. We were not created to be scientists. Let it put it a better way. Scientists are great. We were not invented, created, right, and put into this thing called reality in order to become scientifically minded. That's not the point. <laughs> and this is what Philip Sherrard is trying to say in Rape of Man and Nature, and also in his book, Human Image, World Image. And really, he did Sacred in Life and Art is another one. His trilogy on the rise of the new world it shows us something like what I'm trying to say. And that is, is that all of the new world in reality is math for new worlders. Reality for new worlders, and especially for new world scientists, and I guessing for Jim, reality is that which can be expressed mathematically. Sherard says, for enlightened scientists, the portion of the brain that is capable of mastering the laws of pure mathematics, that part of your brain, he writes, is the sole portion capable of giving us any true objective knowledge. That's what a scientist thinks. Sherard is saying that's what the modern world has come to think. That the part of your brain that masters the laws of mathematics is the part of the brain that gives you objective knowledge about the sensible world. Hmm. I think that's Jim. But there's much more to say. And I'm going to say it right after this break from our sponsor. Hey. That was cool. <laughs> hey, one thing I want to add. Come visit us by signing into smile.amazon.com. So many of you who love our work with all types of people in various locations, this Peace Corps style work, you're so kind to us and you donate. But you know, you can donate every time you go on Amazon. And now whether you should go on Amazon or not, that's a whole nother podcast. But if you do, there's a little trick. You, got, you sign into smile.amazon.com if you have Prime. And what happens is, 
is you can just attribute your purchase to First Things Foundation. It's very easy. The problem is, is you have to realize that you're on it. One way to know is to look up and it'll say, sponsoring First Things Foundation. Then it's exactly the same Amazon, but everything you buy, well, we get a teeny little cut, it's 0.5%. But you should see how fast that adds up when all the cool people are going to Amazon. Consider it, Amazon Smile. You sign in at Amazon using smile.amazon.com. Check it out. Anyway, when we left off, we heard from this guy, Philip Sherrard, telling us that scientists think that the objective world is captured through mathematical operation. I don't know, maybe that's not what scientists think. I will say this, that's definitely the tradition of the Enlightenment. The sensible world is real when we can measure it quantitatively. This is the idea found in, in Guanan, perennialist philosopher, when he talks about the reign of quantity. We as a society have come to know reality through math, right? And this is where you really hear the voice of Jim, the voice of all things new. Cut this in right here, Jeremy. Here you'll hear Jim talking about how a story works, how AI can read a story, even a Shakespearean tale. Listen to this. That's, it's a theory that your physiology has anything to do with it. You could understand the character's goals and then get involved in the details of the story. And then you're predicting the path of the story and also having expectations and hopes for the story. Yeah. And a good story kind of takes you on a ride because it teases you with doing some of the things you expect, but also doing things that are unexpected. And yeah. possibly that creates emotional... That could yeah, it does. It yeah. does. So in an AI model, so you can easily have a set of goals. So you have your personal goals. And then when you watch the story, you have those goals. Yeah. So you put those together. Like how many goals is that? Like the story's goals and your goals, hundreds, thousands. Those are small numbers, right? Then you have the story. The AI model can predict the story too, just as well as you can. How do you? And that's the thing that I find and, mysterious is that it, as the story progresses, it can look at the error between what it predicted and what actually happened, mm -hmm. and then iterate on that. Right. So you would call that emotional excitement, disappointment. Anxiety. Anxiety, Yeah, perhaps. definitely. Those, well, a big part of what anxiety right. does those, seem those to be is discrepancy. Like some of those states are manifesting in your body because you trigger hormone cascades yeah. and a bunch of stuff. But you also can just scan your brain and see that stuff move around. Right. Right. And, you know, the AI model can have an error function and look at the difference between what it expected and not. And you could call that the emotional state. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you I, want I just like, talked with the... And that's speculation, but... No, no, I think that's accurate. But, uh, you know, we can make an AI model that could predict the result of a story probably better than the average person. Did you hear that? Quote, Jim, this is Jim, quote, it can be, un it can understand, it, AI, can understand better than a person. Whoa. That's weird. That's such a weird concept because understanding is for people only. It can mimic the understanding of a person, but it cannot understand. 
understanding, coming to know things is for people, humans. And how about the way he talks about error, error function, right? Like the computer will keep getting, quote, better at recognizing the wrong storyline and eventually it will correct the error. I think error here is called human emotion. Maybe AI will call it math data points, but I think he's talking about the human experience. I think, see, this is the voice of the new world, man. It's on steroids. Jim talks about AI doing AI things and being smarter than humans and being able to solve problems humans can't solve. And if you listen carefully, and I'm telling you, you gotta listen carefully, not semi-carefully. Go back, listen carefully, really carefully. You will hear that Jim means something many of us don't mean when we listen to information about AI. He means something different than you mean when you learn about artificial intelligence. What he means is that artificial intelligence will be able to understand matter, the sensible world, the world of measured things. And they'll be able to do it, AI, in ways that we cannot. And he means that material things will become the dominion of artificial intelligence. Not life. He means created, I mean, material things. How do I know? Why am I saying this? He means that material reality will be better understood by AI than any other reality. And here's the key. There is no other reality for the new world, true believing scientists. So where math matters, AI will make reality. And where does math matter? Where for the new world? Voice of reason? It matters wherever there is anything at all. The answer is math matters everywhere where there's a where, math reigns. All objective reality is material. In other words, all of reality. Because math can't know the other non-real things. It can't know the non-material things. Don't forget that. So soul will no longer be defined as a part of reality. Yeah. And if that happens, it's not if, it's a when. When that understanding becomes common, as Sherard says, where the sensible world, the realm of nature, where that is known only as mathematical, that will become independent of human thought. The objective material world will become independent of human thought to such an extent that objective reality can and will exist without human beings. Yikes. Some people think if all the humans were gone from the world that it would continue to exist. For a Christian, we know that that's not possible. There would not be a world 
made for humans that exists without them. That's not possible. God became man, so man could become God. So if someone believes they could just snatch all the humans away and you could still have a world, that world will become a reality for that person. Ladies and gentlemen, it's happening. Sorry. For Jim and the people running the AI show, the portion, the portion of the brain that is capable of mastering the laws of pure mathematics is the good part of the brain because it produces objective knowledge. It produces reality. Sherrard puts it in Rape Man and Nature. All ideas other than mathematical ideas are purely, purely illusory for a scientist, a true scientist. And that idea, ladies and gentlemen, includes me and you. Human beings doing things like hope and Jesus and weird things like doubt and forgiveness, those things aren't really in reality. They have no basis for existence. It can't be quantified. Love can't be quantified. Sacrifice can't be quantified. AI will not be able to do, work with that stuff. It's not possible. I don't know, man. I like Jim. I want Jim to come on this show. Jim is what happens when the most valued men and women of the last 300 years are men and women who think math is reality. AI is what happens when those people have a lot of money. Right? And they have a ton of prestige, stuff they can work with, people they can work with to get a lot done. Jim is what happens when all of Western culture recognizes his line of thinking as creating wealth for them in the future. Wealth here being valued things. His mindset right? It creates wealth because that mindset has become what is important to human beings. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. We've accepted this as the story of reality. And so his mindset becomes very valuable. Let me take one more break before I finish this off, because I've got to share one more thing with you. It's super interesting. Swipe. We're a nonprofit Watar podcast front for a true not for profit activity called First Things Foundation. We send people for two years and they identify local badasses, people with great ideas who may or may not even know what a school looks like. They may not even read or write. We go to places like Guatemala, Sierra Leone, all over the place. East Africa, the Caucasus worked right here in the United States. And we try to figure out who are the best people for whom to work and move resources in their direction so that local economy and local culture can be best served by local ideas. That's what we do. By the way, Sherard in his books, these books I really appreciate. They kind of were the, in the instrument or the inspiration for, for this podcast. Sherard in some ways, He's right spied on because he calls this class, it's a class of people. It's not unlike 1984, right, and Orwell and these cats. 
there's a class of people. This isn't yeah, this isn't how we all operate. And by the way, it's not a Christian thing. You have to be Christian to figure this out. There's a degree of humanity that can no matter which culture you're from, no matter which God you worship, can recognize in AI something dangerous. However, Sherard being a Christian, he he sees this type of thinker as a class. He calls them a class of people, and he uses the Greek word idiota, idiot. He thinks of them as idiotic, meaning lonely or separated from. As in, this class of people exist on their own apart from God. And he, he really implies and says in various ways that this class of people is actually the class of people who exist apart from reality. They've taken themselves away from reality, the reality that is you know, Christian revelation. And outside of that reality, Christ, and what happens is, is you live further and further and further into non-reality or you become lonely or idiotic, separated from. So anyway, Jim's a nice guy in the end. I, he sort of half-heartedly, by the way, admits to Pajot later on that Pajot's not fully crazy. And he admits that, sure, there are dangers. I don't know if he fully sees the dangers that, say, old-worlders would see. For me, the danger he doesn't see is that there's a portal that's been opened. Sort of like <laughs> Stranger Things. By the way, how bad did that get? The, the, the last season, I, 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 I'm not here. I don't know. We don't do that on the show, but we should do reviews. But my kids were so into that, and I remember enjoying it. And then I don't know what happened. That The fourth one or whatever was a nightmare. Maybe we should talk about that. But anyway, there's a portal that's been opened. The portal, the, the, the portal is the thing that you got to pay attention to. The portal is an epistemology. The thing that's been created is not like a demon. The thing that's been decidedly, I don't know, chosen by our modern society is a portal. It's a window, it's a way in. And that way in is a way of thinking, it's an epistemology. And the epistemology ends with the notion that humans are illusory. Humans are an illusion. Humans are as real or unreal as anything else. And they can be, they can be destroyed. They don't have any transcendent reality. They're not connected to something higher. We're the extra in some ways. We're the appendix in many ways for the objective world. We're the, ex we're the exception that's not really necessary for the world to work. Yeah, and AI is going to recognize this as true. Because it's math, dummy. It's math. Dawkins talks about this all the time. Richard Dawkins, famous modern atheist. He says that religion is an appendix. It's an odd appendage in evolutionary history. It's an extra. It's not really necessary. And he even talks about how religion is odd to him because it really shouldn't exist because it's not for our efficient benefit, right? 
because it exists outside of material reality. It exists outside of the math. And in that way, Dawkins and many others, they just don't get it. And that is something to ponder. Anyway, Shenny's Gagi Marjos, it is Christmas time. Merry Christmas to all of you. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. I don't know when Hanukkah falls this year, at what point and around which time Kwanzaa is happening. Ah, if you're old calendar orthodox, then you got a January 7th day. I mean, look, whatever your holy day is, I'm not saying I'm not saying anything about equality here. I'm just saying whatever it is that brings you to look into the eyes of your loved ones, let it be. Let it be. Oh God, there's another group. We gotta talk about that. Oh. Sorry. The Beatles were good. I don't have a problem with the Beatles. Ah, eh. And I was listening to Earth, Wind and Fire. You know, funky stuff. Did some rap. I don't know. Beatles. I don't know. What's John Lennon's song? I know he wasn't when the Beatles when he wrote it, but oh Lord, what's that song? Help me out, guys. Write it in the comments. What's the song? Where like everything's gonna be fine. All you Oh Lord, imagine all the people. Oh my god. Don't imagine all the people. Oh Lord. Well put it in the comments. Anyway, Shenny Skaggy Marjos, that means to you the victory. Remember, first thing foundation is out of here working hard right through Christmas. Go on www.first-things.org. Check out what we do. Check out our field workers. Check out their projects. Uh, go and read about Marlon and Angelica and in Guatemala and about Litzy and about, I don't know, about Francis and all of our current projects and some of our past projects. See what we do. Support what we do. Watar is brought to you by First Things Foundation and our editors, Jeremy and Andrew. They're very nice men. I like them a lot. They seem cool to me. 